Uh, thank you, first of all, for being a, such a friendly church. There's just such a vibrant spirit here and making my wife and I feel so, so welcome. We appreciate that. And, uh, you know, I have our real connection, like you said, is Grace Temple from way back when. And we have known the Moore family since Robert and Richard were children. <laughs> and so if you need any stories about the Moore family, we have some. So we'll be happy. What were Richard and Robert like as children? Shorter, shorter, that's all. <laughs> Pretty much the same, only shorter. Well, I am... Uh, I'm a fairly, you know, I've got to comment on this. This, this is the state of the world now. Water bottles don't stand up, so that looks so disgusting. But anyway, now I'm a fairly traditional preacher in the, I usually start out with a text and begin there and, and uh, just Kind of that's the way I preach normally, but I have a little bit of an unusual message this morning, and I'm going to do something. Now, you guys don't know me, but you're, uh, those of people who know me know I don't normally start out with a joke. Matter of fact, sometimes I start out really serious, but this morning I'm going to start out with a joke, which always makes me nervous because it may or may not be funny. So, And secondly, I'm a guest here. Pastor Brian may have told this same joke last week, so... If that's the case, it may not go over that well. Uh, but nevertheless, I'm going to start out with a joke because it really makes a good point. So, uh, there was this guy and he went on his lunch hour and he just read by McDonald's real quick and he was sitting in there at McDonald's eating his burger and he looked out the window and there at the end of the parking lot, uh, a truck drove up, a city truck from the city that, that where he was working. And uh, these two city workers get out of the truck and there's a median out there by the road. And the two city workers go out there and they've both got shovels. And the first guy, man, he just goes after it. And he just digs this massive hole. And then he was all tired and wiped his brow, walked back over the truck and leaned against it. And then the second city worker picked up his shovel and he went over there and he just took the dirt and put it back in the hole, filled it all the way back up. And the guy was watching, thought, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. And so he got in his truck and he followed them. And sure enough, they went to us, one of the parks in the city. Same exact routine. One guy dug a massive hole, got all wore out and tired, and the other guy filled the hole back in. And he followed them all day long. And they went from one location to another all over the city doing the exact same thing. And he thought, I just can't stand it. I don't know these guys, but I got to find out what is going on. So he, he finally says, wait, stop, guys, hold it. Wait, what are you doing? You're digging a big hole and you're just filling it back in. I don't, I don't really, what are you doing here, guys? And they say, oh, well, you don't really understand. Normally, we're a three-man crew, but the guy who plants the tree is sick today. <laughs> I'm always so relieved when they laugh. But even, even if that weren't funny, it makes a great point. You know, sometimes people just do stuff. 
They just have a routine and they just do stuff. They do things. They don't remember why they're doing these things. They just get up in the morning and they do certain things. And I think as Christians, sometimes that happens to us as well. Now, I know I don't look that old, but I have been a Christian now about 40 years. And uh, I'm sure I do the same thing. There are certain things that I do that I've lost connection of why am I doing this? And, uh, you know, this morning I have a message, I hope, that will just bring us right back to the center of God's heart and help us remember every day when we get up why we do these things that we do as Christians. The purpose behind it, God's heart, and having God's heart and God's mind. And so when we do the things, we know why we're doing these things. And so, you know, I, uh, like Pastor Brian said, I travel, I've been all over the world, and I do preach a lot in the free speech zones of college campuses. We, we do a lot of Q&A, Q&A for the students, and um, they gather and listen. Uh, still, I mean, some days there's 150 kids standing out there listening. Some days it's just a couple. But we, we go out there and we talk to them about the Lord Jesus. But I have to tell you, and maybe this is not news to you, but right now in the United States of America, it's, it's unbelievable to me, but right now, even in the southern part of the United States, in the buckle of the Bible belt, a lot of people, I would say at this point, the majority of people no longer know what this book is about. They don't know what God is like. And they don't really understand the message of this book. And you know, we don't often think about it, but let's be honest, it's in English it's usually over a thousand pages, which overwhelms people. And modern people don't understand the message of the Bible anymore. As a matter of fact, uh, what Pastor Brian said is true. He said it, it's, you're such a diplomat, brother. The truth is, folks, that most of the college campuses I go to, the majority of the, the kids on those campuses have been taught that this is a book of hate. And most of them believe it because that's what they've been taught. They haven't read it for themselves. They don't know any better. And for so many people, it's like a puzzle. It's just like dumping a puzzle out at all these pieces and all these random colors and shapes and, and where does, what does this mean? I don't have a clue what this is all about. Now, I really not, I don't enjoy that much putting puzzles together. My dad and his wife, they love putting puzzles together. They do it all the time. But you know what? What, what makes all the difference in the world? You've got a thousand pieces, random shapes and colors. Where do you even start? What's this all about? What makes all the difference in the world? When you have the box, the puzzle came in. When you have the box, the puzzle came in. What's on the front? The big picture. And when you see that big picture, I mean, in a nanosecond, your mind says, it's not a bunch of pieces. It's a, it's a little Italian seaside village. Your mind sees the big picture, and then all the pieces can begin to make sense. Jesus said, we are the light of the world. God's people, it's up to us to show the big picture for people everywhere we go. It's not up to us to put the puzzle together for them. 
They have to do that on their own. They have to have a hunger and a desire to know God and understand his word. We can't study it for them. However, we can paint the big picture for them. Everywhere we go, our loved ones, our friends, our coworkers, we can paint the big picture for them and get, give them a hunger and, and let, let it be less overwhelming for them to start to find out how to know God and what he's like and to walk with him and to love him and to, to know him. And so this morning, I want to preach a very simple message. And thankfully, now, first of all, uh, I want to paint the big picture for you this morning. And thankfully, I do not have to uh, use the resources of my mind, which are quite limited, by the way. Jesus already did it for us, I'm convinced. And so this morning, I want to talk about a parable I'm sure you've all heard of, the parable of the prodigal son. And Jesus said, uh, well, let me just start out. Uh, I'm going to read Luke 15, 1 and 2. I'm going to begin there this morning. This is the beginning of Luke, the third chapter, I mean the 15th chapter. There's three parables that Jesus tells in response to this. We're only going to really focus on one. Now the tax collectors. Now you have to understand, when the Bible says tax collectors, these were not popular people. Actually, I guess they're still not, right? I mean, <laughs> but in Bible days... Tax collectors worked for the Romans. They were Jewish people who worked for the Romans. They were considered traitors. They were the lowest in society. That's why they're listed this way. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. They're muttering. It's never good when people are muttering. It's always negative. So here we have a group of religious leaders. These are lost, the Bible says, notorious sinners. And they're, they're listening to Jesus talk about the kingdom of God. How many of you would think that's a good thing? But these religious leaders here that day, they didn't think it was a good thing. They thought it was horrible. I think they'd forgotten what it was all about, amen? They'd lost connection. They didn't really remember what God was like and what God is all alive, uh, what God is like. And so they were muttering about this. And so in response to this question of sinners hanging around Jesus and hearing his words, uh, he told three parables. I'm gonna spend most of the message on the parable of the the prodigal son or the lost son and I'm just going to read one of the other ones it's just a few verses it's very short I won't be preaching about it now Jesus said and I'm not again this is where I'm not going to be completely traditional I'm not going to read every scripture uh, this morning I'm just going to kind of preach my way through this story if that's okay but Jesus said there was a father and he had two sons and the younger son came to his father and he said I want my inheritance now. Now, normally, as a courtesy, you wait till your parents die before you want their money and their inheritance, but this young man was ready to go, and this young man just went up to his father, and he demanded it. He said, I want my inheritance now. And this father was so gracious that Jesus said he divided his wealth between his two sons. Now, as soon as the younger son got the money... He got the money, I don't know, bags of 
coins or whatever. He had it. It was portable. He had half of dad's money at least. And he stuffed his pockets full of it. He had dad's money now. He no longer wanted dad's presence. And so Jesus said, hopefully I can get away with this. Sometimes you go too far, your microphone will squeal. But Jesus said that the young man went to a distant country. If that's the father in his house over there, he went as far away as he could get from his father. He went to a distant land, the Bible says. And the Bible says there he squandered his wealth in wild living. Do I need to preach about wild living? I think we all know what that is. If we're not wild at some point in our life, we know somebody who was. He squandered his father's money in wild, sinful living. And I love it that Jesus used this word squandered. He just wasted it. Half of his father's lifetime of work, toil and sweat and hard work, and the young man just blew through it in no time at all. He squandered it in wild living. Now, not just that. He not just squandered it in wild living. The Bible says about the time he ran out of money, a great famine came on that land. So people were starving. The economy crashed. People were starving. People didn't have enough to eat. In the Bible, Jesus said the young man began to be in want and need. He didn't have anything. And I guarantee you this, when he lost the money, he lost the friends too. And now this young man had nothing destitute, broke, down. And the Bible says, Jesus said that the young man went and he had, to get a, he had to get a job. And he got the only job he could find. He went to work for a farmer and the farmer sent him out to feed pigs. Glamour job, right? No, if you know anything about Middle Eastern culture, that was the most shameful disgusting job you could have. Now, I'm not going to really preach about it this morning, but let me just say emphatically, the Bible teaches that when you live in sin and you live away from God, it will ruin your life. It will just ruin your life. And this young man was proof of it. Squandered his father's money. And here's the, the most, some of the most beautiful words you'll ever hear. Jesus said... That while he was, now think about how low his life had become. Because Jesus said he was so down and so hungry that what he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. Wow. You've lost all your dignity and self-esteem when you just want to share the pig's food. That's how far his life went down. But here next, Jesus said some really beautiful words. In this condition... Jesus said, when he came to his senses, a lot of people all around us need to come to their senses, amen? They're just like that prodigal son. They're lost. They couldn't be more lost and they need to come to their senses. But the Bible says that when this man came, when this young man came to his senses, he said, I will go back to my father. 
But remember, there's a couple of problems with that, at least in his own mind. First of all, he'd gone to a distant land. So it was a long way home. Long journey to get back home. And, you know, this is a day and time. Now, first of all, he didn't have any money. He couldn't buy a plane ticket because he didn't have money and they didn't have planes. So it was not going to be an easy journey. He probably couldn't even afford a donkey. I'm sure he had to walk every step of the, the journey, a distant land. He had to make that journey all the way home. But I think the bigger problem was not the distance so much that he had put between himself and his father. I think the bigger problem was, in his own mind, his father's reaction. You've got to think. Now, first of all, we know from verse 30, Jesus said that the, the, the family knew how he was living. It wasn't a secret. And now his older brother, at least, was just festering with anger at little brother. Big brother wasn't ready to make nice. Big brother was upset. Big brother was, was ready to tell little brother, uh, you know, what all he deserved. And so this young, now how did the family know how he was living? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. Jesus doesn't tell us that detail. Uh, he probably wrote home to brag about it when he was living high. Because, you know, people brag about their sin all the time. They do. And nowadays, they put it on Facebook. People are not ashamed of their sin. They don't know to be ashamed. They, they talk about all sorts of shameful things. So somehow the family knew, and the older brother was really angry about it. And the young man had to think, how I've, I've brought shame to my whole family. I brought shame to their name by the things I've been doing. And the older brother even complained to the dad, your son, this young son of yours, has squandered your money with prostitutes, dad. Do you know how he's living? Human trafficking. He is buying women. That's what, that's what you've got for a younger son, pop. This young man has done all these terrible things. And now, I know for a fact this big problem in this young man's mind because Jesus tells us that right after he came to his senses and said, I'm going to go home, Jesus said he made up a little humble speech in his mind. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you, Dad. And I'm not worthy to be your son anymore. Just make me like one of your hired men. Make me like one of your hired servants. I'm not worthy to be your son anymore. <clears throat> I spent a lot of time meditating on this story and imagining what was going on in his mind. And this tells me that he had resigned himself, that it could never be the same between him and his father. It's never going to be the same. I'm not worthy to even be a son. And he had to wonder, what kind of reaction am I going to get at home? And so he starts this long journey home. He starts walking those steps, and I think it was a journey of regrets. Now, I want to... I want to come clean with you guys this morning. I didn't always serve God. As a matter of fact, I wasn't raised in church. I didn't know God's first name. I broke God's commandments every day without thought or without care. 
I got in all kinds of trouble and then I spent half my time getting in trouble and half my time lying to cover it all up all the time. And then it all comes crashing down, which it did in my life. It all comes crashing down. And then you, there's this game that you play in that moment. It's called, what if, only if, oh, if only if. What if, I, not, a, not a fun game to play because you can't win. Because it's not only if I hadn't, you did. <laughs> You're guilty. And so the young man starts. I think it was a journey of regrets. I think he was just smothered with shame. And when you think about shame, whoo, shame is a powerful human emotion. I mean, shame will just cover you up and just take you over. And so he starts back towards the father's house. He's got a family reunion on the horizon, but I don't think it was a family reunion he was looking forward to. He's got his speech. He's rehearsing, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be your son anymore. Just make me like one of the servants. And he's finally there comes this point in the journey. Maybe he comes over the last hill, comes around the last corner, and there all of a sudden in his focus is his home place. And he can see it. He probably slowed a little bit. Now it's getting ready. I'm, it's time to face the music. I got to do this because I want to eat. I'm miserable, but I got to face my family. And the Bible says that while a long way off, he saw someone running toward him. Now, if it was truly a long way off, I don't know, 200 yards or more, uh, maybe he couldn't recognize him, maybe he didn't know. Maybe it's the older brother coming (laughs) to run him off. You're not welcome here, boy. Get out. You squandered dad's money. You've been, you've lived in horrible shame. Get. And he kind of looked and finally the person came into focus and it was his father running toward him. And this is what the Bible says. His father's heart was full of compassion and he ran and he threw his arms around his son and began to kiss him, Jesus said. Now the King James says that, he, that the father fell on his neck. I get the picture that this father was just draped on his son. A heart full of compassion, kissing his son. Can you imagine the churning emotions inside of this young man? I think this young man had probably prepared himself for every eventuality. I'm going to get scolded. Dad's going to lecture me and I deserve it. I deserve it. I deserve it. I'm not worthy to be his son anymore. Whatever he says, I just got to take. He probably prepared himself for that, but I bet he wasn't prepared for what he got. His heart, his father's heart was still full of compassion. Can you imagine that moment? His dad just draped on him, hanging on him. And he, the, the reality of it, my father still loves me. And I think there surely, and I am speculating at this moment, but I feel pretty sure there was a lot of emotion involved in this moment. I would imagine there was some uh, kind of that uncontrollable sobbing coming up from the young man's uh, 
innermost being, my father still loves me. I can't believe this. He still loves me. But then he kind of remembered the situation. And the Bible says he started his speech. Father, I sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be your son. Dot, dot, dot. I looked through every Bible version I could find this morning in English on Bible Gateway. He never gets to finish the story. I mean, he doesn't get to finish the speech. He just says, I'm not worthy to be your son. He doesn't get to get to the part about just make me a servant. It just stops. Now, I think that's because the father interrupted him. And the Bible says the father turned to the servants and said, get, go, get the best robe. Not just some old skanky robe laying somewhere. Get the best robe and bring it and put it on my son. Wow, what must that have been like to hear his father say, put it on my son. He still thinks I'm in the family. He still considers me family. Get a ring, put it on his finger. Now I got a ring on my finger this morning. <clears throat> it's not just some decoration. It's a wedding ring. It has significance. It has meaning. It means that me and this girl over here are in love with each other, that we are family. It means something, and I think the ring the father was putting on the son was probably a family signet ring. You are still in the family, son. And he said, get shoes and put them on his feet. Get sandals and put them on his feet. I could just see the servants uh, sitting the young man down and, and putting, putting sandals on his blistered, skinny feet. And then the father said this part, and you're probably familiar with this. Even people who don't know anything about God have heard this term, even if they don't really know where it came from. Kill the fattened calf. We are going to have a celebration. My son has come home. He was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. And so he... The Bible says that they, and at that point, they moved in and had a great celebration. And the Bible says, Jesus specified, there was music and dancing. Can you imagine? This young man was so starving. He was eating pig food, skinny, starving to death, probably wearing rags. And he had to make that long journey home. But now, all in, in such a short moment of time, he is sitting back in the father's house, just surrounded, the center of his father's love and attention. I want you to remember that part particularly. That he was, um, that he was sitting in the father's house in the center of his attention, a great celebration. Because I'm going to tell you in a minute, there's a lot of significance to that celebration. Now, I have to say, this is my favorite part of this. Like I said, I've been all over the world. I've stood on college campus after college campus. I... Well, we, we, we did an outreach last September where we fed 5,000 meals to Vietnam veterans at one of their reunions for a week. And I had the privilege of telling some of those beautiful men in their 70s and, and telling them the story of the prodigal son. Everywhere I go, I tell the story of the prodigal son. 
I tell it on college campuses to 100 kids standing there listening to me at the end of the day. I tell it everywhere I go. Why? Because this is what I find. 100% of the time, people understand it. I tell people, you don't have to be a scholar to understand this parable of Jesus, do you? You don't have to be a theologian. And I say right there out loud to them, I take the chance in front of everybody. I say, who is the father in the story? Who does he represent? And 100% of the time, no matter who I'm talking about, people say, it's God. I say, yes, you got it, you got it. That father in the story represents God. Who is the son in the story represent? It's us. I say, yeah, you got it. That's the beauty of this story. No one can misunderstand it. And what a privilege. And, um, you know, like I said, I, I'm going to talk about my ministry here for a moment and just show you some of the various places I've gotten to do this. And uh, I'm not going to talk about the individual pictures up there when they come, but, it, you know, it just, uh, I don't, Tiny villages around the world, poor, poor people. And I tell them this story or I tell them about the ministry of reconciliation of why God came. And uh, I've, I preach, I started out my career as a missionary in Germany. So it doesn't matter to me if I'm in a tiny village in the developing world. I've been to the world's great cities I've been to London and New York and Berlin and, and all over the world telling people the story of Jesus and his cross and his love for them and his great desire to bring them home. His desire to bring them back. And like I said, I spend a lot of time on college campuses and we do Q&A. And we start about noon or the, the, I actually travel with a former atheistic professor, he likes to start at 11. So we start at 11 in the morning and we go sometimes till three, maybe four, sometimes six, maybe seven. Uh, last, uh, a year ago before COVID, I was at Texas A&M and at the end of the day, I began to talk to one lonely girl. I talked to her till 8 p.m. about Jesus. Whether I've got five minutes or two minutes, whether I've got three hours, I'm, they're going to hear the parable of the lost son. And I'm going to say to them, and the reason I'm just going over and over this is, you can do this. It's so easy. Now, I'm a preacher. I embellished it. In truth, it's less than 500 words. Less than 500 words. If you can't do anything else, pull out your phone and read the parable of the lost son to somebody who doesn't know Jesus. You'll see understanding come across their face. Tell them, this is what God's all about. This is the big picture on the front of the puzzle box of the Bible. This is what God is like. And no matter how distant you've been, no matter how far away you think you are or where you've lived or what you've done, he wants to bring you home. He wants to bring you back to himself. And so, it's such a privilege. We are the light of the world. We are God's ambassadors. And um, I just wonder sometimes how many people there are, how many people there are just waiting 
They don't, they don't, they're like the sun. They think God's mad at them. They think, and no, not in a million years would God, people used to joke around, I don't hear this much anymore. Well, I can't go to church, the roof would fall in. I can't go to church, God would strike me with lightning. No, he is ready to welcome them with open arms. That's the center of it all. That brings me to God's heart. That gives me a reason to get up in the morning. That gives me a reason to get on the big plane rides. That gives me the reason to, to travel. And Becky and I are getting ready to go back out on the road. We've, we've traveled some this last year, but not as much as we'd like. But it's, and, if, and for you, let it be the reason that you cross that little bridge with your neighbor, invite them to church. You may say, well, I can't tell them all that. Well, invite them here. Pastor Brian will be happy to tell them all that. Richard or Robert, I'll tell them all about that. Plenty of people here. Invite them. Now, I didn't give my testimony this morning. I'm not gonna. But I told you I was a wild child. You know what happened to me? A miracle. God appeared to me in a vision when I was 17. No, he didn't. A girl walked up to me at school and said, how would you like to go eat pizza with me tonight? And I said, I'd like to. She said, great, we're having a pizza party at my church. That was, for me, the first little seedling of going to church. And I went that night, and I heard the words of everlasting life. And I fell on my knees that very night and asked Jesus to save me and bring this prodigal home. Just because she said, how would you like to go eat pizza with me tonight? Wow, it's really that simple, and you can do that. Uh, but here I'm going to close with this thought today. You know, when the father says, when the father says, go kill the fattened calf, we're going to have a celebration and there's music and dancing. I want you to know this morning, that is not just a metaphor. That is not a word picture. That is what really happens when a lost person comes to God. Now, I'm going to read a whole parable now. It's just a couple of verses in that same Luke chapter 15. This is what Jesus said, verse 3 through 7. And then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? He joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. Now that's the end of verse 6. He's done with parable mode. He's not telling an earthly story with heavenly truth. He moves into complete reality in verse 7. He says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And then he repeats it in verse 10, the same exact thought, that all the angels rejoice when one sinner comes home. It's going to read one last passage to you this morning, and I'm going to turn it back over to Pastor Brian. I, uh, this passage changed my life as a young man. I had all this in my heart. Now, what you guys don't know, I stand up here and preach, and you think, woo, the guy's up there preaching, he likes all this. No, 
You're looking at the world's shyest evangelist. If left to my own devices, I just go, I'm an introvert. I just go sit in a corner and read a book. That's what I do for fun. I don't converse easily with people. But as a very young man, I read this passage. We were getting ready to go out, what they used to call door-to-door witnessing. Man, I may do Q&As and get screamed at by atheists all day, door-to-door witnessing, that's harder. And we were getting ready to go do that, and I was just petrified. Lord, I don't want to ring these doorbells. I don't want to face this reaction. Oh, God, help me. Please, God, give me courage. Give me strength. Fill me with your spirit. And I read this passage, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. This means anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. And all this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who had never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. I want you just to hear a couple of phrases from that as I close. Jesus said, he's given us this wonderful task of reconciling people back to himself. And I was so nervous before I read this passage, but after I read it, there was such a peace. It's like, God, that's what we're supposed to be doing. You even told me what to say. God's not holding your sins against you. Come back to him. Be reconciled to God. He gave me word for word what he wants to say to them. I can read God. I can do that. And I've had the privilege since then of telling thousands of people about Jesus. And I leave you this morning with that exhortation. I'm going to pray and then turn it back over to Pastor Brian. Father, I thank you for this beautiful, vibrant church. I thank you for uh, the mix of people that are in this place. Lord, there are young people full of energy and passion and excitement and older people and people in between. I thank you for this great church, Lord. I just pray in the name of Jesus, after this season, Lord, of COVID, when our nation has been shaken and we've been literally kind of locked down and we've all uh, made adjustments we had no desire to make. I pray in the name of Jesus, you would use this body, Lord, in this community. And indeed, Lord, bigger than that, through, the, uh, through their social media ministry, to bring people back to God. Use them, use this body. Let them speak as your ambassadors. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.